Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. You know, we see lots and lots of things going on in our world that are different. We see changes in values. We see changes in perception of things. But we see, we hear, still hear a lot of talk about tolerance. Tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. And I'm, I'm a very tolerant person. I don't know about you, but I, I really don't care what other people are up to as long as it doesn't affect me or my family. You know, we all have a right to pursue happiness as we see fit. What I think the problem most people have with tolerance is that when you tolerate things that maybe you don't agree with, as long as people don't enforce you, don't force you to be a part of it, that's when people become intolerant. That's, oh, so you're a hater, you're a this, you're a... No, you do your thing, just leave me alone. You know, people have no, uh, no problem whatsoever with attacking uh, religious people or the Catholic Church or, or anything else, right? They go right after them uh, like they're, they're nothing, right? But uh, that's not intolerant. That is standing up to intolerance because, you know, the church, they believe all those old-fashioned, out-of-date things, and therefore we have to go after them. We have to make the church do the things that, by their religious standards, they can't do. It's not part of their religion. We're going to make them violate it because if they don't, then they're intolerant. We should do away with them. Take away their tax status. Attack them. That sounds pretty intolerant to me, doesn't it? I mean, I go to church. And all I hear in the church is love everyone, uh, help everyone, do what you can to be a better person, love Jesus, and try and be like him. Try and be loving like him. Try to uh, extend your hand out to people. Right? It doesn't mean embracing people's sin. And I have sinned. We all sin. Everybody sins. But I try to overcome that. You know. So, And what are my sins? I don't know. I'm sure people could disagree with a lot of things that I say and do and say that's not right to do, but it's not their business to say that, right? Just like it's not my business to say that what you do is wrong unless it hurts uh, me or my family, right? So therefore, we have this whole idea of tolerance and what is tolerant and what does it mean to be tolerant. So let's think about this. We've just come through this pandemic and, it, and it's still it's still out there. People are still getting COVID. Some people are, are still very sick. Some people are dying. It's a reality because it's it's a tough disease. If you have underlining conditions, it can really it can really knock you out. I mean, uh, Kathleen, my wife and I, we both had it, and our symptoms were the first day, I guess that we tested positive. We didn't really feel anything. Like we tested positive, and okay, well, I remember, I think Kathleen was three days ahead of me. She tested positive, um, and we're like, wow, that's strange. And the reason we tested ourselves is that good friends of ours had been over for the for the afternoon and we were, you know, having adult beverages and sitting around talking in close proximity. You know, we weren't within six feet. We're on top of each other, but we were sitting around a table having having food and drinks and, and talking. Well, the, two days after that, uh, these friends called us and said, hey, just to let you know, we weren't feeling so good. We took a test. We're positive. Uh, so you might want to take a test. So we did. And like I said, Kathleen tested positive. Um, and the first day she felt nothing. Well, the next day she was very, very tired. Couldn't get out of bed. 
So she slept all day. I tested negative, negative, and then all of a sudden, I woke up one more, and I just was so tired, I had to go back to bed. I took another test, and lo and behold, I was positive. Well, by the time I was positive, Kathleen was still testing positive, but she was over it. No symptoms, no problems, nothing. Uh, the day after my sleepy day, as we called it, where I just, every time I got up, I would spend an hour doing whatever, working, and then all of a sudden, man, I'm so tired. I go to, and I pass out again and sleep for three, four hours. The next day, I seem to be fine and I got over it. So I don't make, I don't make light of it, uh, of, of it out there, but it's pretty much, it's pretty much over. My question is, what, what lessons did we learn out of this pandemic? Well, we see that there's so much controversy about medical advice. You used to think that, you know, your doctor, there'd be no BS with your doctors. They would just tell you, uh, you have this, you have that. Here's how you take care of it. Here's what you do. Uh, and you move on. You know, sometimes they would say, well, you know, that we can try this or we can try that. And you'd have to make a decision. Do I want? Well, what we saw with the lesson we learned with COVID, we saw was the overreaching power of the state to control our lives, to come after us, to say you had to shut down, close the schools. Now they're all running away from it. Oh, it wasn't me. I didn't say shut down the school. I said this. I... And they're all lying. You know, they, they had this power. So my question is, are there more lockdowns in our future? Right now, if you look in California currently, there is a, uh, they're calling it the flu. And the flu is hitting lots and lots of people. And so many so that hospitals are setting up tents to take care of people out in their parking lots and other parts of their property because there's so many people coming in with the flu. Is that the next thing? Does the flu season now, which disappeared, if you noticed, for COVID, there was no flu season. Nobody had the flu. Uh, now, all of a sudden, COVID's over and the flu is back. So are there going to be more lockdowns? Are you going to see uh, these uh, governors and mayors who had such power to tell everyone what to do. Are you going to see them jump back in? And now the next lockdown will be, we're going to lock down for 12 days to get over the flu. Is that in our future? Well, one of the questions I asked in a previous episode was, is America done? Are, are we done? Are we in a new place now where these new rules will take effect? And I think, I think it might. I think it might. I think we have to look to history to see what's happening here. So that's one of the things that I'm asking about. Do you see more lockdowns in the future? right? And how can you stay healthy? Well, while I'm talking about being healthy, you know, I, I, I've, I've talked about healthy cell a lot um, on these shows because I want you to know that it's something that I really like and I believe in. I bought more because I, I take it every day. It's, it's convenient. It's easy. It tastes good, and I really do believe it has made a difference in my health. And, and I, you know, you see these commercials on TV. Well, I take this thing, and it makes me really good, and I don't get... It's a paid spokesman or whatever. I'm not a paid spokesman. I'm just a guy here on the on the internet radio. And I'm telling you, I got a wind of this stuff, and I wanted to, to feel better and be healthier and fight off my sinus infections I get all the time. And since I've been taking this stuff, if I get a cold that lasts one day and it's gone... You know, I start to get the symptoms, and then it's gone. So I'm a big believer in the uh, the healthy cell immune boost because I think I've boosted my immunity, which is important for all of us. So if you're interested in getting getting better, I'm gonna tell you, take a look. Uh, it's on the uh, it's on the network here, so you can find healthy cell immune boost. They make one for sleeping, and they make one for focus factor. 
And I think that should be coming for this week. I should be getting that. Now, I'm a pretty sharp kind of guy. Um, you know, I, I stay mentally fit. I read. I think. I watch the news. I, I engage here on the radio. I also write a lot. So I think I stay pretty together. But you know what? If I could be more together, I'm willing to give it a try. So since I like the uh, immune boost, I've ordered the, uh, the focus factor stuff. So we'll see when that comes. I'll tell you how that goes. So recently, I was down in Dallas, Texas. And it's, it's, it's funny. I talked about it a little bit. I was down there for the IACP, the International Chiefs of Police Convention. And uh, we had a booth there, you know, because I do training and stuff for the police and I have a police subscription, which, you know, think about that. If you've got somebody in law enforcement in your family and you want to give them an outrageously good gift, you want to give them uh, right, training, right? So one of the things I created is an online on-demand training subscription, Right? And we sell it. It's, it's like $1,500 for the whole department. Every single cop gets on there for the department. Or the individual officers can buy it for $99 for the year. Right, So I'm trying not to be a commercial. I'm just trying to tell you that you know, this is what I do to try and help cops. And the holidays are coming. Maybe you want to uh, uh, get this for somebody in your family. It's a law enforcement person. You know, It's a year's worth of training online on demand for them for $99. So... The IACP thing was really good um, when I was down there, and I liked Dallas. You know, Kathleen and I were down there, and we kept saying, you know, you can you can smell and taste the freedom down there, because it just felt different being in Texas. That you know, the state wasn't on top of you. There wasn't all these rules and regulations like like there is in the Northeast that you can feel when you're here. And I really liked it. Well, we just had we just saw a uh, you know the air show down there it was a tragedy. Uh, and I'll tell you, those air shows are amazing because I love flight. Uh, my kids actually bought me uh, flying lessons that I've been trying to find time to go take because I really want to be a pilot. I want to fly. I want to get up in the air. I love flying. I love jet airplanes. I like uh, any kind of airplane. And they bought me these lessons. So the air show down in Dallas had a tragedy. But if you look at these air shows, they're so cool. I've been to them. And you see amazing aircraft doing amazing things. And you see the Blue Angels. That's really cool. To, if you ever get a chance. I mean, it's, it's dynamic. It's really cool. Um, but, you know, there are these tragedies at these air shows. I mean, you go on the Internet and look up air show crashes. And it's like, if there are 50 of these shows a year, uh, probably at least one or two of them uh, has airplanes crashing, either into the ground or into each other. And it's, it's really a, a dangerous kind of a thing, you know. Uh, we think about it, air flight, they say, oh, it's one of the safest travel ways. And I guess it really is. Um, I travel a lot uh, on airplanes. And I, I just love it. I love when the planes, you know, when you hear the engine starting up, the, even the pushback. I like the pushback because there's anticipation. And then the engines, you know, you hear them rumbling up. And away you go, right? Next thing you know, you're doing, what, 200 miles an hour down the runway? And then this massive metal beast just catches just enough lift and up you go and you roar into the sky. It's absolutely amazing. So I'm going to do that on a small scale. You know, they got me uh, an introduction to flying lessons and I'm sure I'm going to follow up with it. Uh, so I'll get out there and I'll, I'll keep you all informed on, on that and what I'm doing there. Um, but the air shows are really, really cool because I like flight. And I'm sorry, this is this little personal thing I got off on because um, I'm going to be flying to California twice this year. And from New Jersey, where I'm at, it's like a six and a half, almost seven hour flight. So uh, I'm hoping that uh, I get some comfortable seats because that could be a long time to sit there. All right, so other stuff that's in the news. 
other stuff that's in the news that you know can, can go along our line of chasing justice. We've seen recently that um, John Benet. Remember John Benet? Uh, John Benet was a, a little six-year-old little girl who was murdered in her home uh, on Christmas, then Christmas Day night. Her parents had been out all day. Uh, they had a little brother. Uh, I think he was nine years old. They came home from a day out of being out for Christmas with other, you know, family and dinner and all that. And they went to bed. And when they woke up in the morning, um, they couldn't find John Bonet. She wasn't in her bedroom. And they found a note, a note written by these people demanding uh, money from them. And, and the police came and they're searching around for the little girl and they couldn't find her. Well, eventually the father went down to the basement and found her. And she was she was deceased. She was dead. This little girl was, was dead. So it turned into a, a very crazy um, investigation. You had the police department pursuing one angle of who the killers were, and then you had the prosecutor's office and their detectives pursuing a different angle. And over the years, we've kind of lost track of little John Bonet. Um, you know, she's gone. Um, no one has ever been arrested. So recently, her father... Uh, who's now 78 years old, and I think he lives in the Atlanta area. Originally, him and his wife, Patty, were considered, you know, suspects. And I believe it was the police department who was going after um, Mr. and Mrs. Ramsey. They were going after them because, you know, the parents had to have done this. No, who could have gotten in the house? And the long and short of it is, as, as law enforcement, you know, when you actually see some of the evidence in the case and you see what happened to this little girl so i guess the theory of the police at the time was that um the little girl had wet her bed or something and her mother was very frustrated with her and and ended up uh you know doing something that killed the little girl you know hit her head on something dropped her on the ground threw her down whatever and it killed this little angel and because the mother and father were so panicked that they killed their daughter they concocted this entire a crazy scheme to make it look like somebody broke in and, and did something to them. Well, when you when you examine the John Bonet case, there's some things about human nature that I know as an investigator and as a human being, and I'm sure you probably have a lot of these understandings as well, just because we're all people. So if we went with that theory um, that the parents did this to cover up uh, what they did, right? That the mother did this and killed the little girl and the father wants to protect the mother. So they come up with this, this story um, that the little girl was killed by somebody who got in the house and, and, and killed her. Well, let's look at that. First of all, we look at people's backgrounds when we do an investigation. Why do we look at their backgrounds? Because what you've done before or your history tells us a lot about your future and who you're going to be. You know, uh, you know what do they say? Uh, tiger don't change his stripes, right? Leopard don't change his spots, something like that. Some kind of cat, kind of, some kind of fur uh, thing. Doesn't change over time. So we look at people's history to see what, what they've been like. So if someone has like a DWI and they kill people, you look back and see, was that with their first DWI? Or have they had other DWI? Oh, they, they've drank a long time. So maybe there's some more culpability here for the person, whatever. When, we, when those parents were investigated, John and Patsy uh, Ramsey, there was nothing in their history to indicate that they had violence, that they would do something out of character like that. By all, by all measure, they loved their children very much. 
Now, a big controversy at the time was made out of uh, that that John Bonet was a beauty queen at five years old or six years old, and she went to all these things. And I said, "Oh, who would do that?" Well, you know what? Maybe I wouldn't do that with my kid, but lots of people do that, and they, they do it innocently. They're not they're not uh, you know exploiting the children and all this other stuff. The mother, Patsy, was a beauty queen herself, so she was familiar with that world, and it was something for her and her daughter to do. Right now, we all see uh, we see these shows about the beauty queens of little kids and how the sometimes the mothers can be obsessive. Um, sometimes they can live vicariously through the child, and you see these kids crying and all this and that. Well, there's no indication that John Bonet was like that. She seemed to really like doing the shows and dressing up and dancing and singing, and she was popular. Now she was a beautiful little kid, uh, so there's nothing to indicate that the mom and dad had this kind of violence. They went so far as to check. At the time, we had uh, video stores. Remember that? You'd go to like the Blockbuster or one of these other places, Premier Video, and you would get your videos. They even went to go look and see if dad was renting porn about little kids because nobody could imagine somebody could get into this house, kill this child, and, and nobody would be aware of it. Well, that's not true. You know, ask any investigator who does things. The, the weirdest things in the world you think are not possible actually are possible. So... They, they, they wake up in the morning and they don't find John Bonet, so they call the police. And now the police come out, and I can tell you what happens when there's a missing child. You know, what you should do when the police get there, they should search the home really well. Because a lot of times, you know, children are in the house, especially a young kid like that. Where are they going to go? Open the front door and, and go for a walk around the block? If that's not in their history of doing that, then, you know, you say to yourself, okay, let's look in the house. And any, ask any cop that you know. Go and say, hey, ever did you go to a missing kid? And you search the house and you search everything. And then you find the kid was behind the bed. Or the kid was hidden in a closet where nobody looked. Happens all the time, right? So when I teach police officers when they're doing that, they have to really search the house well. So people said, how is it possible that all these cops running around in that house and they didn't find that little girl dead in the basement? Well, when you, when you understand... The size of the house that they lived in, they were very well, well to do. They lived in a, in a bigger house. The basement had many rooms in it, uh, rooms filled with you know stuff. There's video of the crime scene you can see when you go out there. And you could see there's rooms filled with um, you know boxes of stuff and all kinds of stuff that we accumulate in life. Is it possible that when the officers uh, took a look that they didn't look that hard? You know, because they were thinking the kid the kid left something, you know, where's the kid? And they looked through the house real quick. Yeah, that's probably what happened. And then the father's sitting there saying, well, I, I got to do something. And he looks closer. So dad goes down into one of these little rooms and he finds John Bonet in the room dead. And he picks her up and he brings her upstairs and everybody's, you know, all hysterical and upset. And Well, you see, that sounds strange, doesn't it? It does. How come he could go find her, but the cops couldn't? Well... Unless he had her hidden somewhere at the bottom of a closet, why would he call the cops to find her? Right? It's, it's, none of that makes any sense to me. So the dad went downstairs and he searched some of these little ante rooms in the basement. He probably looked a little closer. And then he found her. And where they found her, you could see that there were um, there was a ligature around her neck. There was a, 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 a garrote. You know, you see the old mafia movies, they, they, uh, they put something around somebody's neck in the back seat of the car and they put it around their guy in the front seat and they choke him out. That's called a garrote. A lot of times they use piano wire, rope, but anything that you get put around somebody's neck, you could choke them out. And it's a garrote. Well, that's how this little, little child was murdered. 
and there was a couple of marks on her body that looked like they were stun gun marks, right, from a stun gun. Uh, I did see a, a special looking at evidence, and they stun gunned somebody with one of these things, and they found the marks look just like what's on this little girl. So now, if you think, what did dad do? Dad stun gunned her and then put a garrote around her neck and twisted it. Now, I don't mean to be so graphic, but when you see the crime scene pictures of this little girl, you have to imagine mom and dad who are not criminals, they're not criminals, and say they did something stupid. Mom did get angry and threw the, threw the girl down and, and she hit her head and went unconscious and she died. Let's just go, okay, that's what happened. So we're going to hide the girl. Are they going to go through, well, here's what I'm going to do next to my sweet angel little girl who two hours ago were sitting singing Christmas carols. And because I'm so upset, uh, I'm going to put a stun gun mark on her. And then what do I do with the stun gun? They never found a stun gun in the house. Right? Um, okay, let's say it's some other kind of marks. It's not a stun gun. But there was two marks that looked, based on the experiments that they did, looked like stun gun marks, right? Then you're going to take a garrote and you're going to put it around this little girl's neck, and you're going to twist it so hard that it leaves an unbelievable mark on your little baby girl. Then, and here's the worst part of that whole thing, even if you can bring yourself to say, well, dad was out of his mind, he didn't know what to do, so he did it, or mom did it, whatever. Then you're going to take that little baby and lay her down in the basement all by herself, and you're going to go to bed so that you can get up in the morning and call the police and make it look good. Does any of that make sense? As a parent, are you a parent? If you did something like that, you were yelling at your kid or you pushed your kid or you did something with your kid when your kid got hurt, wouldn't your first reaction be to dial 911 and get some help for your kid? Even if you did something? I think any decent parent would say yes. They would call 911. Oh my God. Even if... They were going to make up because we threw her on the ground. You see these parents do this all the time. They beat the kid to death. They still take him to the hospital. Right? So here's two parents who have no history of any kind of violence like that whatsoever. And they accidentally kill their daughter. And then they take the daughter. They garrote her. Stun gun her. And leave her alone in the basement dead. And then they go back to bed. Does that make sense to you? It does not make sense to me. Now, there's lots of other evidence in the case. Uh, there was evidence that there, there was a broken window. Oh, well, the father did it to make it look like that. Um, you're, you're, you're telling someone who is in absolute shock that something just happened to their daughter, if this is going at the premise that they did it, that they're going to come up with all of this, let, let me make it look like somebody broke in, let me garrote her, let me put stun marks on her, let me throw the stun gun away, let me... That's not how these things happen. Um, most crime like this is done spontaneously. You know, if somebody were to do it, they shake a kid. You heard of shaking baby syndrome. Lots of people shake their babies and, and, and kill them because they shake them so hard they damage the brain out of frustration and anger. So you mean to tell me that, that this little girl was wet in the bed so much that uh, her mother was that frustrated that she killed her? She was so angry, um, and yet not one thing came out about the bed being soiled with urine or her clothes being soiled with urine or anything like that to indicate that she, she wet herself again, and there's nothing to indicate she was having that problem. So when I look at this case and, and I say it's been 26 years 
that this little girl is gone. Her mother, Patsy, passed away of uh, ovarian cancer, and she died before she could clear her name. There was an apology from the uh, new prosecutor took over and did send them an apology, but we've never solved that case. So either the killer is dead in her grave, the mother, that's who did it, uh, with the father as an accomplice, or somebody went in that house and killed that child. And we have no answers. We have no answers of who did it, why they did it, right? So the note, I'll talk quickly about the note. There was a note that was left there, and it was a very lengthy note. I use it in my class. I, I use the John Bonet, um, the John Bonet homicide as part of my criminal investigation class. And we look at the this very lengthy note, and one of the things they were demanding, they were saying it was supposed to be a ransom note, right? As though they kidnapped the girl and wanted money. Uh, and they said, we want $118,000. Uh, now, it's funny. Why? Why? That's a strange number, isn't it? 118000 Well, it just so happens that uh, John Ramsey got a bonus that year from his company of 118000 or received a payment of 118000 uh, for something at that time, and that those people were asking for that. So the mother is so stupid when she's writing this note that she's going to say, uh, just say, just say the amount that you just got and, and this and that. As I, I would look at it, I'd say, wait a minute. Maybe somebody at the company knew that he got 118000 Or maybe somebody down the line that maybe didn't work at the company but knew somebody who worked at the company. And you know how people complain about their bosses getting, or this guy got $118,000, right? He doesn't do not. I do all the work, right? People do that. Maybe somebody that knew somebody knew about that. It's just, it's, it's not a coincidence that that number 118000 was mentioned, right? But uh, they did handwriting analysis, and it was not mom's handwriting that uh, wrote the note. It was not dad. Um, now, I've, I've been certified in a court as a handwriting expert, and I know what it takes to, uh, to analyze handwriting. And what they're saying is it was not mom's handwriting, and it wasn't dad's handwriting. So whose handwriting was it? They had another person came in and wrote the note? No. It seems, it seems very likely that whoever did this probably was in the house before they got home. Right, because they wouldn't have seen the broken window. It was on a part of the house they wouldn't have seen. They come in exhausted and tired. Uh, they get the kids ready for bed. Everybody has something to eat. There, you know, there's food on the table in the crime scene pictures. Uh, people had something to eat, and then they put everybody to bed. Right, and this person was in the house. So the scenario that seems most likely is that the person broke in, uh, was in the house waiting, laying in wait. When everybody went to bed, they went up to the child's room. Uh, stun gunned her to keep her quiet, dragged her down to the basement, and maybe they panicked. Maybe she started uh, trying to yell, to scream, and whatever. They decided they had to keep her quiet, uh, and they choked her out using the rope, and they killed her. Now, that's, that's my, looking at the evidence that I've seen, that's my guess, because I can't believe that the parents did it. And I'm not close to the idea that the parents did it. But I know the father, John Benet's father, uh, John Ramsey, is now calling for uh, the police to submit their evidence to brand new private sector DNA testing, which maybe could break the case wide open. And the police department has uh, turned the case over to a cold case squad within the PD, and John wants them to turn it over to uh, these private companies that do unbelievable new DNA-type testing. So... Hopefully we find something down the road that the killer of this child uh, is brought to justice uh, and then she can, uh, she can rest 
rest in peace in a loving God's arms and John Ramsey can have some kind of peace that his daughter's killer was found. All right, so that's our, our chasing justice little story of law enforcement today. Uh, we'll be back in a minute with more here in America Out Loud. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? Well, now there is, and it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out cofixrx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at cofixrx.com. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. All right, everybody, welcome back to Chasing Justice. Now, as I was telling the, the John Bonet story a minute ago. I have my producer, Miss Kathy, in the back waving at me, uh, holding up a sign, letting me know that, hey, you started talking about the COVID and you left out a lot of the stuff you want to talk about. So let me let me circle back around. It's like the Gensaki. Look at me. I'm circling back around. Let me circle back around for a second. What I was talking about when I said, uh, you know, the, the lockdowns, could they come back? And my concern was the, the overarching power of government, which dovetails with what I've always said about humanity, right? The default position of humanity is to live under tyranny. And when we see that people were so outraged by these things at the time, and they don't seem so outraged anymore, do they? I mean, did it translate into anything? Did we learn anything from, from that? And, and when I was talking about the medical people, and that's the point Miss Kathy was trying to remind me, when we, when we trust our medical people, you trust your life to these medical people, don't you? And you expect them to give you honest truth. Well, for the first time in our history, we saw medicine corrupted by politics. 
where certain things that medical doctors were saying, they were told, you can't say it. You can't, if you went on social media and you talked about uh, you know, using certain other things to protect yourself from COVID or to fight COVID, you got banned off of social media. You got silenced. And now, as we're seeing, the government was working hand in hand with these social media places to silence people who were speaking out. Right, and it's it's no secret. I've I've been very clear about it. When Kathleen and I had um, had COVID, we had gone to a, a doctor who prescribed for us uh, ivermectin and a couple of other uh, other medications to help us get over it. And we took it, and boom, gone, gone. Right. So I know it worked, and there's lots of people out there. That, and it's not horse dewormer. Ivermectin is a is a medicine that is used in many things, including in veterinary work. It won awards uh, for, for its health properties that it had for human beings. So it was just being uh, people were trying to silence anyone who talked about ivermectin. That's not, the only approved thing is the shot, the shot, the shot. And what do we see? How many people got you know, five shots, two, three shots, nine shots, and they're still getting COVID. They're still sick. They're having rebound cases. None of that worked. And we weren't allowed to talk about it. If you talked about it, you could get in trouble. In California, they have a law that if a doctor talks to you about something that's not approved by the government, they can lose their license. Did you, do you understand that? How ridiculous that is? That the government is telling your doctor what they can and cannot talk to you about because it's not approved. We don't approve of that. And that's misinformation. Well, with Elon Musk buying Twitter, maybe maybe we'll see a little bit of a change in that. I don't know. I don't know that we will. I think on Twitter you might, but I think if, if government gets to keep this power, and it looks like they're going to keep this power, they the next thing that comes through, you might be finding yourself and your kids subject to more lockdowns because it was to condition us, I think, to just listen and do what we're told. So thank you, Miss Kathy. I appreciate you waving that note at me because, uh, you know, I get off on a tangent sometimes and I just get running. All right. So let's see what else is what else is out in the news that's that's interesting. Well, how about ambush robberies? Have you seen this trend where people follow people home and then they run into their house and rob them because crime is out of control? But apparently nobody cares. Nobody cares that crime is out of control. It's just, you know, if you're a victim, you know, Hope you're not too bad of a victim, but nobody seems to want to do anything about it. You know, there's no real big crime-fighting effort to go after criminals and shut them down. Um, it's it's the other way around. You know, we're going with this whole, well, the justice system is unfair. Therefore, when people get arrested, uh, they're not convicted of anything. They're just arrested, so we let them back out. And we know that there's about 20% of the population across the board, right, that is criminal. And if if Given the opportunity, they will do criminal things. So what we have to find out is, uh, you know, when we arrest these people, these people that commit violent crimes, sexual assaults, homicides, attempted murders, all these bad things, the reason we hold them in jail is to make sure that they come to court. So the, the idea does get a little convoluted, right? The purpose of bail is to make sure that you have an interest in staying around and going to court. That is if you're looking at decent people. Decent people that, that, you know, are charged with a crime uh, depends on the crime, I guess. You know, I, I mean, how do you work that around? If somebody commits a violent crime, uh, why would they stay around? Why wouldn't they leave and get out of here? Because if I'm convicted, I got to go to prison. So you could see the idea. Well, you got to put up money, uh, a lot of money 
so that you have an interest in coming back and going to trial. Because maybe you're found not guilty. Maybe the cops screwed up the case. Maybe there's no evidence. Maybe the jury finds it. And then you get, you know. So when they, when they put bail on people, um, I think this is where they need, this is what the bail reform needs to be. Certain crimes, instead of pretending, you know, because you're right. If you gave a guy, somebody that makes $250,000 a year, and they're accused of some kind of an aggravated assault for whatever it is, and the bail is $50,000, They'll probably be able to make that. They might have the money themselves. They have access to assets. They could uh, mortgage the house. They could get a loan pretty easily and, and get out of jail. Go to a bail bondsman, right, and put up 5000 cash, and they put up the $50,000 bond. That, that, you could probably do that. But a, a person making 40000 or 50000 and they have a $50,000 bail, they're not going to be able to get out of jail, right? So that they say inherently that's unfair. The poor get held, the rich get away, and we all think that there's, you know, a double-edged uh, legal system, which we have seen over and over and over again. Uh, we see that there's things that if, if a politician does illegal, they don't even get held to account, and if they do, it's not a serious incident. If you did it, you'd be in prison, right? So when we look at, at this, this bail reform, we have to understand that Maybe we need to make a law that says, here's the categories of crimes that if you commit this and you are arrested, you will be held until your trial. Simple as that. That would eliminate the rich guy being able to put up money and getting out. Now, the other side of that argument is, you know, constitutionally, right? Aren't we all innocent until proven guilty? So now you're keeping me in jail for something that uh, the state has not proved I've done. So it's, it's a dilemma for a modern society to figure out how do we deal with crime. Now, that discrepancy seems to be solved by people who are more progressive by going, well, there'll be no bail. We're not going to put bail on people. And then poor, poor people get out, rich people get out, and, and they're, they're not convicted, right? They're charged with a crime, but they're not convicted yet. So therefore, they should get to, to go leave. What we do know is that this 20% of people about that commit these crimes, the most of the crimes in our society, and that's across the board. There's no race involved with it. It's, it's people, you know, in general, all of us. 20% of us are criminals. And what we find is that they will go out and recommit crime, more crime, more victims, more crime, more victims. So how we're going to figure that out uh, based on our Constitution, I don't know. It's tough. It is a tough one. Um, you know, do you set different numbers based on someone's income? Because reality is the whole idea of bail is to so that you have skin in the game, so to speak, right? Hey, you put up $50,000, you're going to come to court to make sure you get that money back. Um, but if you only make 40000 maybe your bail is $12,000, right? Or whatever percentage of your income would be equal to that. But then how do, how do you say that? How do you go by incomes to determine whether or not there's justice? See what I mean? This is, um, it was an unspoken reality uh, for everybody in the justice system that, you know, uh, they set bail so high that people couldn't make it and then we could hang on to them. They couldn't get out. Well, is that really the idea of bail? Uh, no, the idea is bail is make sure you had skin in the game. But the reality is we want to keep these people in jail until they go to trial. So they set the bail so high nobody could make it. So it's kind of masking the reality. Do I have the complete answer? I do not. Um, I'm trying to think about this. I'm trying to figure this out and see where this goes. But these ambush robberies is where I started. That's what led me to this. These ambush robberies are now very common uh, you see people, they notice somebody maybe at a, at, a, at a store, they notice somebody out at the bank, and they notice the kind of car you have, and they follow you home and run right in and, and rob you. 
Uh, so it's been happening more and more and more ambush robberies. And again, the kind of idea is, hey, uh, we're not going to get in much trouble. So we might as well go take sh stuff from people that we want. Go steal and rob, right? Take their stuff. Um, you know, the black market is filled with all this stolen property. See, the other day, somebody went a group, of, a group went in, they go in gangs now and they rob these stores and they took 70 very high-end purses worth, uh, you know, half a million dollars or whatever. Uh, where are they going to end up? Are, are they going to walk around going to dinner with them? No, they're going to resell them. So if they're worth $3,000 a purse, they're going to sell them for 500 or 600 bucks and make a ton of money. Where are they selling them? Uh, well, either word of mouth or maybe they have an internet site or something. The reality is it's getting worse and worse and worse. Crime is really getting bad. And that's, um, that's something for every one of us to think about because we can be victimized in many ways. And these, these ambush robberies where they follow people home, that's really scary because they're in your house now where your family is. There's one thing they rob you on the road. They get your wallet. They punch you in the face. They take your car. That's bad. That's horrifying. Imagine those same people in your house with weapons with your family there. And now they decide maybe they'll rape your wife, rape your daughter while they're there because those things happen, right? Terrible, terrible, terrible. So crime is in the news and we're, we're looking at crime. All right, another thing in the news. Let's take a little different tack. Um, there's a turkey shortage, right? A turkey shortage, uh, just like there is of everything else. Uh, there's a fuel oil shortage coming, right? Um, how do we have these shortages in America, right? We had abundance just uh, two and a half years ago. We had abundance of everything. And now we have shortages, shortages, shortages. So think about that, a turkey shortage. And turkey's good, healthy food. I like turkey. Turkey's delicious. I've always liked it since I'm a kid. Um, one of the things that um, I saw out there, I was in, there was a movie uh, by Tom Hanks back in the day called uh, Terminal. I think that's what it was called. That was about a guy who had to live in a terminal. Now, when Ta Tom Hanks did it, I guess it was a semi-comedy about a guy who had to live in JFK Airport, and that's where he lived. So I don't understand how you live in JFK Airport, but it was based on a true story of a guy, and I'm going to try and say his name without messing it up, Murran Karim. Murran Karim. He's an Iranian, and it was actually in the Paris airport is where the story was real. Uh, from 1988 to 2006, he was stuck in the airport because there was a deportation issue uh, and he couldn't get a visa to get out of the airport and they didn't want to send him back. And he ended up staying there uh, from 1988 to 2006. Uh, that's a long time. So that's what the movie was based on. Well, he said in a couple of interviews, he became like he, he lived there. He slept there. He used the uh, staff showers. They let him use the airport stuff. He said he would leave the airport one day. But now, uh, after 2006, I think he could leave. I think his issue was cleared up. And he decided to just continue living there. And he lived there until he just died, now in 2022, in the airport. Isn't that strange? These things, you know, you, it's, it's a movie from, from back in the day. And, and here we are so far in the future. And this guy actually lived in the airport. Uh, I don't know. I go to the airports. I wouldn't want to live there. Them chairs are uncomfortable. The food is expensive. It's too many people, too much noise. Wouldn't get me living in the airport, but this guy actually lived in the airport. So I, I found that interesting. Um, one of the things near and dear to Lieutenant Joe, and you see how we're going round and round and round here. we got a lot of information I'm trying to talk about, a lot of things on my mind lately. Um, the autism community is uh, some, some, a group that is uh, in my heart 
and on my mind. Uh, I know a lot of people who are on the spectrum. Uh, I know a lot of kids, adults. I write for uh, Autism Parenting Magazine. Uh, I write for them. I've gotten a couple of awards for some articles I wrote on uh, law enforcement type of things and our kids uh, on the spectrum. I talked about uh, dating, finding finding love and relationships when you're on the spectrum. And it's it's been a, a wonderful experience because they're wonderful people. And it, and it is really tough, though, uh, when you meet some of the parents, how hard it is to raise children who are on the spectrum. And one of the things that I talked to an attorney the other day about uh, there was some questions about setting up the future for some of these kids that are on the spectrum that as their parents age out and aren't here anymore, what happens to these kids, right? So th there's, they call it a spectrum because you have very, very high functioning people with autism, uh, Asperger's, which is on that spectrum, and they, they, they can live a life, they can live on their own, they can run businesses, they can be billionaires, they can do all kinds of things. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have people that have very difficult time functioning in life. Uh, maybe they're not verbal. Uh, maybe they're, they have all kinds of other issues. And as you become a parent and your child starts to get into their 20s and you start to say, wow, I'm in my 60s. Um, when this kid's in their 40s, I'm going to be dead and gone. What's going to happen to my child, right? So I was talking to this attorney who specializes uh, in this, and she's actually going to come on the show uh, in the near future. We're going to try and get her in and talk about some of the things that she does. But the one thing she found, you know, because I'm a New Jersey police officer and I, and I get a pension from the state of New Jersey, and we were talking about many officers who have kids that are on the spectrum. They said, "Hey, you know what? Uh, my attorney says I can um, leave some of my pension to my child who's disabled on the spectrum." And they do that. They set that up so the kid can have it. And what she was saying was that, unfortunately, because there are lots and lots of benefits you get from the state to help you uh, with, with children that are on the spectrum, that when you get that money out of the pension, that can disrupt the flow of state aid that you get. And it's expensive. And, you know, and, you know, and that's what, that's what uh, those kind of things are for, for people who really need help. I'm not opposed to, to us helping um, but it has to be a real need. And this is a real need. You know, what's somebody going to do when they're in their 40s and they can't go to work every day? They can't function every day. And mom and dad are gone. So it's better that they, they have things in place to help these kids live out their lives. So what she was saying is pay attention. If you're going to leave something to your child from your finances and your kid is on the spectrum, you should do it through a trust. Because if you do it through a trust then the child can get that money to live, whatever it is you're leaving, pension, cash, whatever, your savings, whatever. And it will not hurt any state benefits that they're getting. So that's just a quick tip that I throw out there because I had this conversation. And this attorney is amazing. She was, uh, she was a prosecutor when I was a cop. She was an amazing prosecutor. Uh, then she retired and she put out her own shingle, an attorney, and she specializes in family uh, family law and special needs kids. She's also a judge in several towns, so she's brilliant on top of everything else. So she's really good. So keep that in mind. Uh, like I said, I'm going to have her on, and we're going to talk about a, a couple of things. See, so I'm, I'm talking about mental health today. I'm talking about uh, physical health. You know, we talked about healthy cell. Well, here's something that I heard about recently. Um, high blood sugar, right? Anybody ever worry about high blood sugar? You ever think about it? And really, the, the reason that this is coming up to me um, is, what was that actress from, uh, oh, uh, Applegate, Christina Applegate. 
she she recently has come out and said that she has MS, multiple sclerosis, and it has really affected her negatively, and she's going to probably stop acting. She can't come out anymore. She's, she's being very public about her struggle, and the reason she's doing that is to try and help other people. And I was reading about her, her struggle, and what she said was there were signs and symptoms of MS that she didn't know about, and she just ignored. And now it's gotten to the point where she can't function. She has to walk with a cane. She says she, she put on 40 pounds and she doesn't feel healthy. Um, and she can have all kinds of other problems with MS, but she has to pretty much stop acting. Her career is over and a uh, beautiful, talented young woman. But the statement she made in this article that I was reading, she says, I wish I knew the symptoms earlier. I wish I had paid attention. So when it comes to these kind of things, one of the other ones that we see out there all the time is high blood sugar. Now, I've heard about this my whole life. High blood sugar this, high blood sugar that. It's never been a problem for me. You know, I, I like cookies and candy and, you know, I, well, not so much candy, but cookies and ring dings and things like that. I do like them. As an adult, I still ate them. Not as much as I did when I was younger, but I still ate them. Well, my brother, uh, who's really a great guy, he, uh, he has diabetes. And diabetes runs in my family. And I always knew this, but it never affected me. I never knew anything about it other than my aunts and uncles and people had diabetes. Well, my brother comes down with diabetes. And uh, apparently he, he ignored the symptoms for years because he didn't know what the symptoms were. He just thought it was part of getting older. And when he went to the doctor for, I guess, a routine checkup, which he didn't go enough. Everyone should go every single year and get, get yourself checked up so you catch these things before they kill you. By the time they found his diabetes and all his symptoms were related to diabetes, he was very far along the road. And what he tells me is that I don't think there's coming back for me. This is what my brother's telling me. I think the diabetes I got uh, is only probably going to get worse because I ignored it. Well, just like Christina Applegate. She didn't know the symptoms, so she ignored when she felt out of place. So I started looking at this and I said, okay, uh, here's my brother with it. It's in my family. Let me take a look. Do I have any of these things? Am I ignoring symptoms thinking it's getting old? You know, I got a bad knee. I had knee surgery years ago. And uh, my other knee is very sore now. I probably need surgery. Is, that, is there anything to do with that, with high blood, blood sugar? So I went to the doctor and I had a blood test. I don't know when I did my physical six months ago, seven months ago. And he says, you know, eh, your blood sugar is a little bit on the high end uh, of normal. You know, pay attention. You know, what are you eating? And I, you know, I was eating terrible. Um, you know, I, I eat steak. I love steak and all that. But I also ate them cookies, right? Like after dinner, I would have some cookies or a piece of cake or something. And I said, you know, um, let me look up these symptoms. So one of the first symptoms you would notice if you had high blood sugar would be tingling or a feeling of heat in your feet, right? You get that. You feel like a tingle in your feet. Your feet might feel numb, your toes might feel a little numb, right? Or you might feel heat. You're driving a car and, man, it just feels like the engine is on fire and your feet are... That's a sign that the nerves uh, in your feet are being damaged by high blood sugar. Now, why it attacks the feet first, I don't know. I don't know enough about it. But I know it does attack the feet first. And my brother told me he felt that for the longest time. He says, oh, it was like uh, tingling and then it was hot. And then when he would walk, you know, his toes and stuff would hurt really bad. He goes, one time uh, his wife, uh, you know, stepped on his toe by accident and he said it was agony and it was really bad. He didn't pay much attention to it. Um, then he had an unbelievable thirst. 
He said, man, I started drinking water like day and night, day. I could not get enough water. Well, when you look and you find out that one of the symptoms of, of uh, high blood sugar is you have an unbelievable thirst. And why do you have a thirst? Because your body, this, this is what I did learn, right? I did look into this and see this. Why would there be that thirst? Because your kidneys are working so hard to get the sugar out of your body, the high excess sugar, that they're draining the fluids from the rest of your body and you're actually dehydrating, right? Your kidneys are pulling as much fluid as they can so they can rinse out. In urine, they can rinse out uh, the sugar because your body needs the sugar to go down. Uh, and I think the number when you get an a A1C test is anything above seven is considered problematic. So you want to be down around four if you're normal, right? But if you get an A1C test. So this is Lieutenant Joe's tip of the day for health. Because I found out about this, I started looking into it and I was concerned, is, is this something I can look forward to in my life is going to happen to me? And uh, pay attention to the symptoms. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say thank you to Christina Applegate, uh, who, who was funny as heck in Married with Children. She was great as Kelly Bundy. She was awesome. She's been good in all the movies she's been in. Talented, beautiful young woman. Uh, but she's trying to do good by telling people about her symptoms. And the biggest thing she just said to all of us is don't ignore symptoms that you have. Go to your doctor. Talk to your doctor. Hey, I'm feeling weird about this, right? So I just wanted to throw that out there because, uh, you know, that's kind of where we're at today. We're going in a big circle, Lieutenant Joe and you. Um, and I think it's great. I think one of the last things I want to talk about here, we got a couple of minutes back on the justice theme, on the justice theme for a minute. What's going to happen with Hunter Biden? Is there anything to happen with Hunter Biden? Now, you hear, I heard the president uh, recently. They said, uh, what do you think if there's going to be investigations about Hunter? And he goes, I don't think anybody cares about that. I think we need to move on. I think that's an old story. and it's good. But the reality is, have we ever really investigated what was going on? And, and for sure, while it is about what Hunter Biden did, it's really about whether or not our president is compromised because of uh, money schemes he was involved with with foreign nations. Was he getting money from China? And is that affecting how he governs the United States policy and towards China and everything? Was he getting money from Ukraine? Was he doing was it our president who is beholden to these people? Um, and I think we have a, a, a smart idea would be to look into it seriously. Now, we're not going to do that with the Justice Department we have now. They're politicized. They're not going to look into their own president. Um, but we really need to look at those things. The other thing I thought was interesting is that while President Biden said, nah, it's an old story. Nobody cares about it. We know. Two minutes later, they were talking about Elon Musk and uh, his purchase of Twitter and maybe his connections to foreign governments. And he said, well, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that there's anything there. I don't know if there's any evidence of anything. But, you know, I think it's something we should look into. I think it's important we look into it. Now, he's the president of the United States. When he says that, the Justice Department listens, and maybe they're going to start an investigation with no evidence into Elon Musk and his connections to, to governments around the world. Don't you see how hypocritical that is? Here we have Hunter Biden's laptop filled to the brim with evidence that our president is corrupt and is beholden to other governments. 
And there's witnesses that have come forward that were on the calls and say, you know, the big guy, this guy, Bobolinsky, uh, he says, yeah, the big guy in all these conversations getting money, 10% of this deal, 10% of that deal, the big guy is Joe Biden. And nothing. Crickets. Silence. Right? So here in one case, there's no evidence, but the president thinks we should look into an investigation into this uh, Elon Musk guy and his Twitter thing. But there's tons of evidence and nobody cares about that. We should move on from that. What do you think? What do you think? Should we, should we know about that? And again, Hunter is Hunter. He did what he did, but he's a direct connection to the president of the United States. And if that endangers all of us, shouldn't we know that? Shouldn't we know what's going on out there? So we've covered a lot of topics today. You know, I'm looking at my pages of outrages here and I'm saying there were so many things um, really to, to, to talk about. Um, in a future show, I'm going to talk about emergency operations plans. Oh my gosh, Lieutenant, that sounds really exciting. No, they're important. Uh, I just did a program probably a week or so ago for healthcare industry people and insurance people and all these groups on emergency operation plans in our workplaces. Very, very important. Is your workplace safe? You know, that's kind of dropped off the uh, the radar. Uh, but there was recently a big shooting in Omaha uh, that could be an active shooter incident. There was a guy just drove a car through a parade in California. That could be a terrorist incident. We know that the border is wide open. And now they've caught over a hundred people on the terror watch list and they've let them go into the country. Is there going to be a day that's coordinated where they're going to attack America? Is this going to happen? Is it possible? The possibility is yes. Are we prepared? Do we have emergency operations plans to help our companies, our schools, our churches, everyone be prepared to respond to violence? So we're going to talk about that in the future. Right now, I want to thank you all for being here. I appreciate you letting me uh, vent my brain out a little bit today. Uh, very, very soon, the boys from the neighborhood are coming back. That's right. The pandemic's over. The boys get to come out of their house, and we're going to have them on here on Chasing Justice. So we'll talk to you soon. And remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. I'm Lieutenant Joe, and this is Chasing Justice.